Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Anderson Valley lies about 100 miles north of downtown Sonoma. It's one of California's coolest grape-growing regions. This is just one of the reasons that in 1981, the Champagne House of Louis Roederer selected Anderson Valley as the region for the grapes for its Roederer Estate bottling. It wasn't until 2012 that Roederer decided to launch a still wine project called Domain Anderson. With this brand, Roederer joins a list of powerhouse producers including Litteri and William Salium to make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay from Anderson Valley. I met with winemaker Darren Lowe to talk about Domain Anderson and of course to taste some spectacular wines. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditer.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditer.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Leonard. Joining me today is Darren Lowe, winemaker at Domain Anderson. We're up here in Anderson Valley today on a beautiful day. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. How did you get started in the wine world? Gosh, uh, I uh, grew up in Healdsburg, California. Okay, you grew up in wine country. Yeah, in the 80s. And um, wine was just kind of getting going then. And um, my father had a wine shop that specialized in Zinfandel. It's just right outside of the Dry Creek area. And I grew up um, kind of in and around the shop and tasting wines a little bit. You know, I was underage at the time. And um, and got my first uh, wine winery job at, in dry creek uh as like just pump overs and and just started falling in love with the, the whole community and the whole idea of uh having fun while you're working uh enjoying people's uh, um company and we always broke bread uh together as a as a company at noon i, th- I thought that was the greatest thing and, and i looked a little bit more into it and, and studied it yeah it's really interesting I talked to so many winemakers who came, come from, well, my dad My dad had a farm and he grew grapes and he sold them to so-and-so and I started making wine because of that relationship. You're the first person I've ever talked to that you come from the retail side where your dad had a wine shop. Yeah. What did that experience with retail and dealing with customers give to you that you're carrying on today? Well, I think um, what I've learned about that is that there's always there's a wine for everybody. And so um, uh, you could have, a, have a, a wine style that you prefer, but then there's so many other things to discover. And, and I think that's the beauty of being in retail is that you can help your consumer get what they want, but also um, have them discover something that they would never have tried on their own. And, uh, and then they learn something about a different region of the world or a different variety or, or something that that is, I mean, to me, that's what wine's all about, is, is, the, is the discovery and the, uh, the, um, the variety that you, can, that you can have with wine. Sure. You started out as a cellar rat mm-hmm. after you left Dad's shop. Right. And then you, went, you, studied, you studied winemaking. Where'd you study? I studied in Santa Cruz. Um, and as UC Santa Cruz, had, you can make up your own major. And so I cobbled together with some science and some uh, language and um, and also working out in Santa Cruz Mountains at a, um, a winery called Hallcrest, uh, uh, made uh, my own major and, and, and uh, went abroad uh, to France to study in Bordeaux, even though now I'm, I've been making Pinot for the last, gosh, almost 30 years now, um, but studied in Bordeaux and um, 
and that yeah that's i kind of like did it on my own a little bit couple different paths there. yeah yeah you'd think folks who come from this area might automatically just go to davis right but you went to santa cruz and Mm -hmm. made up your own uh path and then you went and studied in bordeaux yet today you're making burgundian varieties what is it that you learned in Bordeaux that you're applying to the style of wine you're making today? You know, I think uh, my French um, experience uh, being in university and making wine in, in I made it in Entre de Mer. Um, so that was mostly like Sauvignon Blanc and, you know, the, the Bordeaux varieties for the reds, um, was really living with wine. So the family I worked for um, had been making wine since the 1400s. Wow. And so, you know, they had this like beautiful atelier, this, uh, um, this workshop that they had. And it, it was just like the, the tradition and the culture and the, uh, the family kind of connection to the land and to the, the vineyard really struck me. Um, and, you know, they weren't, it wasn't like a grand chateau or anything that was like super, you know, well known at all. It was, it was really living and working with grapes and wine that I think uh, brought me closer to, gosh, this is a this is a really a, a, a great um, lifestyle. And so you know that was part of it. Okay, so Domain Anderson is owned by Rudder. Yeah. And how did you end up? How did you get from going to school in Bordeaux to making Burgundian varietals for an estate owned by a Champagne house in California? In California, right? Yeah. So um, it is a little um, kind of the long way around. I, when I, after graduating school in, in university, I went up to Oregon and made Pinot there um, in the early 90s. And so it was just beginning there as well. Mm-hmm. I came back down uh, to Healdsburg. Just, it was just a summer job up there. Came back down to Healdsburg and, and uh, immediately worked for a wine company, um, sparkling wine company. The Jordans made sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. It was, back then, it wasn't even called J. It's called J now, which is, um, you know, this was like in the late 80s uh, that they started the sparkling wine. And so that's how I got to start making sparkling wine. And then J, at the end of my tenure at J, or at the end of my, my time there at J, they started making, in like the early 90s, making still wine Pinot. Mm. And from there, I went to Flowers, which also This makes, is a good place to study Pinot Noir. Yes, right. <laughs> and, and, and then made Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and grew out on the Sonoma Coast. Um, and so I was there for several years, and that's what brought me here. But this is the first position that I've really been able to use uh, French, uh, my my French training because it's it's very Francophilic here. Obviously, it's it's a French company, um, and then the, you know there's English is like the, the the almost the third language spoken here. It's like it's Spanish, French, and English. Uh, sure. When we're in our in our uh, uh, speaking with the companies and and um, and our and all the employees, but um, uh, it's a. The, the French connection, I think, is important because it really, they, the, the family's been making wine for seven generations, and, and there's this patience uh, of, uh, uh, that is just kind of understood um, that great wine takes time, and the time is spent in the vineyard, and so it's taken time, uh, especially for still wine. Uh, I think sparkling wine, you have a little bit of, uh, maybe a little bit more kind of a, 
freedom because uh, just the, the spark there's so many other things that happen to sparkling wine once it, before it gets to the consumer still wine is very um, you know vineyard driven and the company and the family especially like really understands that and really striving to uh, to make um, you know world-class uh, wine in the Anderson Valley and, and, and Anderson Valley is not really well known either um, it's a very small you know comparatively the 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 land that's dedicated to vine, that's planted to vine, is, is extremely small compared to like Napa or, yeah. so, or Sonoma County, and so. Um, well, the physical valley is even smaller than Napa. Oh, right. It's only like what eleven miles by three miles. Exactly. It's half the size right, of Napa right. Valley. So it's it, and it's also pretty isolated. So right. well, we're up here. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, getting the name out there is uh, of Anderson Valley Pinot or Anderson Valley Sparkle Wine. It, it's it's a uh, you know, one, you don't have a whole lot of that, the juice out there in the market um, or the wines out there in the market. Um, but it's also, it's a, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say it's struggle, but it's a, definitely a challenge to, to make a name for yourself in an area that's so remote when obviously, you know, California has so much great wine and really spectacular pinots coming out of Sonoma County. I mean, Sonoma County, sure. Yeah. Well, Sonoma County is a weird place because it's so gigantic saying Sonoma County is, it really needs more definition, Mm -hmm. but I think Anderson Valley obviously has its own definition. Yes. Let's talk about that a little bit. 2012 was the first vintage for Domain Anderson, right? Mm -hmm. So you're practically a brand new, (laughs) you've only been on the market a couple of years, right? right? Yeah. What is it that brought Rotor to Anderson Valley. Well, so uh, the Rousseau family, uh, Jean Claude Rousseau, when he was head of the 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 company um, in the '80s, looked for a place to to kind of expand from the Champagne holdings he had, and he found this place. Like in the, in the '80s, the early '80s, there was other, especially Champagne houses that came to Sonoma County. So there was yeah. like Piper Sonoma. Um, there was Tattinger that went down to Carneros. There was Mom that went to Napa. Napa. So th- all these places are a little bit more kind of close to um, the Bay Area, which is closer to like a population center. Uh, Jean-Claude really came out this way. There's nothing out here. There was like maybe two or three wineries. I think, uh, you know, th- there was the bonded wineries back in 1981 out in Anderson Valley were very, very few. And... He w- came out here, and because he's from, I, I, you know, his such a long lineage of, of winemakers, he really felt that this place was uh, the ideal place for his family to expand, uh, and and also he he thought the potential was uh, inherently just so much better and more than say down in down in Napa or down in um, in in I guess Russian River or, or wherever you know Carneros or wherever. And so that's why he, he, he found a place here uh, to, to basically plant, uh, start out with a little bit of uh, land, plant grapes, and, and eventually build a winery. In 1989, they built the winery. And it took uh, several years before, I think, Rotorer State really kind of got up and going. Um, and, and, and that's how they, they got here uh, by searching the world and, and finally or certain California at least, and, and coming here, to deciding to come here. And, and so sparkling wine's one thing. Um, 
because they're you know you're not really asking the grapes to ripen all the all the way to you know 22 23 sure. 24 and um, um, so they were very um, happy and, very, and humming along and, and building the brand of a uh, rotor state and um, but there's always been that the want or need to like make still wine and so they found um, <coughs> this this property the domain Anderson property um, it was a sale in 2011 and it, everything just kind of fell into place and they've always wanted to make still wine um, high you know premium Pinot Noir and Chardonnay they had the grapes, um, but uh, they didn't really have a place to make it because you're all set up differently for still wine than sure. to make yeah, still right. wine than you are to make sparkling wine. And so um, once they found the place, uh, they just, it was kind of a no-brainer. And the aesthetics really kind of fit with the, um, the Rotor Estate aesthetic. Um, it's, um, it has the same, it's had, the, had the same feel um, from the beginning. Uh, so th the building was built and it was a, it was a sale that uh, a gentleman um, wasn't able to complete. Uh, Jim Ball wasn't able to complete. Uh, he, uh, he built it in 2008, right at the... Oh, bad timing. At the, bad timing. Uh, yeah, at the, uh, um, of the recession and um, just, uh, you know, sunk a lot of uh, effort and investment into it and just uh, unfortunately wasn't able to, like, uh, finish it. But I think... Uh, the Rousseau family took it over and really is, is uh, trying to make the um, the vineyards are here, planted to the correct uh, clones, and um, the infrastructure is here for the building, and a very green-oriented building. Um, uh, there's a water recapturing system that, you know, d everything was, there's a lot of forethought, a lot of thought put into building this place, and so it just kind of, it was almost turnkey. Um, the, the first thing that really that happened was a lot of, of investment in the vineyard. It's uh, terrific. Yeah, and going, um, you know, first going organic, and then um, eventually uh, 2016 was uh, certified biodynamic from Demeter. And so the, you know, growing these grapes um, on the estate uh, in that way really allows for the expression of the tiroir, which is what, um, you know, it's it's very inherent in like French thinking, um, and so bringing a little bit of that into California, I think, uh, was the goal. Do you own all your own vineyards, or are you sourcing fruit from anywhere else? Everything's a state. Everything's a state. Yeah, and so. And how many vineyards do you have? So there's nine vineyards, uh, and it's up and down. The, so this small valley we were talking about, it's it's uh, all the way from Boonville out out to Navarro, and so um, what's able what's uh, really kind of uh, uh, it just it's convenient but it's also it adds to the layer of complexity is we got warmer sites and cooler sites we got sites on the floor we got sites uh, a little up high um, from Boonville like I said all the way up to Navarro and so closer you get to the ocean the cooler it is sure. and the more um, maritime influence so the fog and the kind of cool wind that comes from that out Navarro side um, and then the warmer areas, uh, you know, we, we try to, to manage correctly so that we limit the richness that we get in the wines. Uh, we want a rich wine, but not like super... You don't Russian river, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and trying to define that style um, and trying to um, understand what we get um, from our grapes that we put like, you know, uh, 
minimal or like no industrial uh, ad um, uh, additions to the uh, to the vineyard in, in terms of like chemicals or or, sure. or um, mildicides or anything. And so, um, letting the vineyards try to, like I said, uh, be at peace with where they're at, and so uh, to express what is going, what this valley is giving us, and what the estate's going to give us. With with your vineyards, you've obviously had them a few years now, and prior to them being owned by Domain Anderson, they probably weren't organic and biodynamic. No, but the but the Rizzo family wants at least um, twenty percent of all the land that they farm to go organic, and actually in Champagne, it's even more now. So it really depends on the year. Uh, I mean, or, organic is the goal, um, uh, and but uh, you know, on the ground, I mean, as as a stated goal is is um, is is good to to strive for, but some sites just aren't necessarily um, the good sites for organic farming. Sure. I, I think um, with the kind of labor um, availability that we have in California and also in this valley, we have to kind of pick and choose. So our organic vineyards are really our kind of star vineyards, are like if you Grand Cru, if you will. Okay. Um, and then some, we have some other sites that are like more valley floor that are not necessarily, that are like little heavier producers. Well, you know, those, if it's the, uh, those, a lot of those vineyards will go to sparkling wine in the sense that it can take a little bit more volume uh, from the, mm -hmm. the yields from the vineyards. Um, and so we really have been picking and choosing which ones are organic, which ones are a little bit more conventionally farmed just because uh, you, you have to with the labor, like I said, sure. the situation here. And... Um, the the vineyards getting to know the vineyards we have some stars that are rising and some vineyards that are that are you know they make okay wine they're the workhorses they are the workhorses yes what changes have you seen in those vineyards that you are implementing organic and biodynamic farming in now than when you originally started with them uh, well for one thing they're getting uh, kind of at our the ripeness that we want them a lot sooner so we're picking like in we're in the past, it's been you pick for sparkling, and you wait like a, you know, ten days to two weeks, and then you start picking for still wines. Now we're we're seeing some of our vineyards that are being farmed organically, and biodynamically, like the the, the ripeness levels of the you know not not only the sugar and the acid, but like the tannin level and the, and the skins and the color and everything is kind of it's like in con concurrence with sparkling wine. So we're picking stuff at eighteen bricks for sparkling wine and at the same time we have vineyards that are um, you know that are coming out like say 22 bricks and, and really kind of optimum flavors as well and 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 managing the the sparkling and this and the still wine together um, as as it as a company um, you know that takes a little bit of a you know logistic work as well but you know trying to understand and prioritize what um, what really needs to be off the vine and made into wine sooner than others can wait. And, and, uh, and so that's, you know, when we talk about vintage, we're really talking about a wide range of how was your vintage? Like our vintage is really kind of, well, yeah, it depends awesome. on where you were. Yeah. Wine. With your biodynamic vineyards, 
Are you go full on biodynamic, burying the cow horn and dancing under the stars and all you doing all that stuff? <laughs> well, I don't know about dancing under the stars, but we are we're we're gonna get to burying our cow horn. We're not quite there yet. You know, we're we just got certified in sixteen, and we just need to find a space uh, to be able to do some of that stuff. And um, so we're buying a lot of the preps, um, and uh, we're we're gearing. You know, we we're gearing up to kind of go that direction. So little by little. You know, we just like fence off the, the, the vineyard now where the sheep are going to come out pretty oh, soon. Oh, excellent. And, um, you know, we're going to try to let the cover crop grow a little bit longer or a little taller this year. Because sure. last year the sheep got to the cover crop when it a was a little too soon. A little too soon. <laughs> so, so it didn't get a whole lot of benefit out of that. But um, but the sheep, you know, love it. The nice little green. And you're doing honeybees too, right? And we have bees. We have bees and, and uh, chickens. And uh, we have uh, um uh, all our landscaping around is, is very bee friendly and, and so and it, it's a uh, to take that philosophy and really apply it to like a commercial um, and also uh, I mean just to, to apply it to to a, an endeavor really takes it takes some time you know and it's if it's not all like in one shot and so um, little by little we're kind of adding on to our uh, to our um, I guess our, our, our biodynamic arsenal, yeah, if you will. You're slowly yeah. entering the water rather than diving yeah, in right. head first. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then, but the changes that you see are slow as well. So sure, it's going to take years yeah. for that. To and come so, um, so the plants are definitely healthier, it seems to me. Good. You know, some of our weak, weak, uh, weak areas in the vineyard are doing better um, because of, I think, uh, you know, because of the inputs that we put in there. The the non-chemical and the more you know natural and the biodynamic inputs that we put in there the preps and so i, I can see a difference that way uh now the quality of the wine you know that's a l up to debate because sure you know, but the vineyard's looking uh really good let's talk a little bit about the wine to you when you're making particularly pinot noir and chardonnay what does anderson valley taste like well so you know my experience came from sonoma coast right and so um i'm i'm a Comparing a lot of my, you know, past experience, what I found like that I, Anderson Valley is a little bit, is warmer than I thought than say the Sonoma Coast wines. Um, that being said, you know, the soils up and down the valley, the ones at least in our vineyards, they're pretty much the same. You know, lower you get a little bit more clay, but for the most part, it's like this kind of lighter soil, like loamy, sandy soils up high and. And like I said, a little bit more clay on the on the on the floor on the the closer you get to the the riverbed, but um, I've noticed a lot more like savory characters coming out of uh, Anderson Valley wines, and uh, you know it's very easy to get uh, extraction. So like after, gosh, um, you know for the Pinot, uh, it gets uh, in the tank. Um, after like three or four days, it's like you have all the color you want. You know mm -hmm. already um, and then the fermentation starts and so it's really like managing kind of like um, the extraction levels and and understanding that in you get a lot of tannin I think at the very onset of um, a fermentation um, and it's it's uh, so that's what I've seen from Anderson Valley and, and I'm still learning you know I've only been in the Anderson Valley for uh, now this is my second um, I've been I've done two harvests in the Anderson Valley, so it, it's it's a it's always like a, um, a, a um, 
discovery and, and and discovery and also understanding the vineyards and and, and so it, it's a being a winemaker I think is it, it's you don't have all the answers uh, and and so now it's just taking time and being intimate with the wines being intimate with your vineyards and just kind of getting to know them more and more and and, uh, and then also working with the seasons and the, and the vintage itself in your winemaking process someone might think well you're owned by this big giant champagne house big company that you might have this sort of industrial type winemaking process tell me about your winemaking process yeah it, it's not i mean it, pinot uh, pinot noir in particular is uh not uh is big winemaking is it, is not very uh, conducive to you know it's big definitely winemaking. suited for a small yeah for handcrafted thing right? so, so everything's very um I guess for, from the big company, what's uh, available to me are the resources and the kind of the um, the will to make high quality wines. So everything's just kind of sized to the parcel. Uh, all the fermentation vessels are sized to the parcel. All the you know um, the 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 handcrafted um, unique quality of each parcel uh, is, is very small winery uh, boutique winery size if you will and so that's um, that's how we can get away from uh, I guess what, what you were saying a big wine company I mean the the rotor rotor Louis rotor and champagne I mean it's it's a large producer it's a big house but it's it's really they make wine in very you know small parcel by parcel um, uh, um, a way you know for their blending it, it's uh, everything's like uh, uh, the tanks that I saw over there were maybe you know 1500 to 2000 okay. you know gallons or so so it and there's many of them there's like th like three level three different cellar levels you know the the older levels were down in the bottom uh, underneath in the in, in you know underground and then the higher you go the the newer the the cellar but it's very it's a it's a large company with small winemaking kind of uh, techniques and i think that's what um, you know quality uh, that's that's one notion of quality and one notion of how we can achieve quality from a larger scale from a larger ownership should we taste some wine yeah let's do that so what are we starting with so uh, well, i poured for you the uh, the estate uh, chardonnay it's a 2014 estate chardonnay and so this is from uh domain anderson obviously it's the uh, uh a blend of our well from chardonnay we have seven different vineyards and so this is our kind of our larger production we make a single vineyard but i didn't bring that up um and and so this is from 2014 and 2014 was the end of the drought years in California, right. so you're gonna get a little bit of richness. But I think it, it really what it smells like and what it tastes. It, you can smell like the richness of it, but it very very crisp acidity. The, the aroma the aroma has it feels like it's going to have some body to it. Yeah, but there's a good bit of minerality and really floral to me. This is really pretty. Yeah, no, we're a lot of finesse on the nose. Yeah, and, and that's really the the refinement is is what um, I'm trying. To, I'm looking for in uh, in the Chardonnay. A little bit of leasiness. How much time on lees? So it's got ten months on lees. Um, we've done some experiments with uh, um, fifteen months lees lees uh, contact in, in not in barrique but in in, in tank. So a larger. We'll rack them right before harvest and put them in tanks. So this one did not uh, experience that. Um, 
And so we're, you know, like I said, it, you don't know all the answers uh, immediately. Sure. Especially with a, with, a, with a brand that's new. You know, this is our second vintage, the 2014. And so um, it's the current release right now, but it is, um, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, 10 months on lease. We, I think back um, then we were stirring lease, so it had some oxygen contact. Mm -hmm. That has since fallen out of favor. We've now um, had, uh, if we want to stir lees, we bung it and roll it now. So we have the um, ability to roll it now to, without the air. And so really trying to be anaerobic with it um, uh, after a certain point. But what, what does that do? What's, what's the difference? Well, I think it'll conserve a lot of the freshness, um, you know, once it's aging in barrel. Um, and this was done, the 14 was done traditional yeah. lee stirring? Tr traditional well, stirring. Well, because, I mean, it's uh, pretty darn fresh wine as it is. Yeah. It's it's definitely, and this isn't a criticism, this is actually a compliment, it's less broad and more linear. Yeah. You know, it's not like this big, wide, fat Chardonnay. This right. is this is super pretty, really elegant wine. Yeah. And and so you're going to, you know, what's the difference between, like, say, a Russian River uh, Chardonnay and an Anderson Valley Chardonnay? I think you're going to conserve that acidity because if we get that, um, the it's, it's the... Uh, uh, suppose it's the the uh, the climate because it gets pretty cold here at night. Even though Russian River, I understand, you know, it gets pretty cold as well. But mm -hmm. the, there's a different type of uh, marine influence. You know, the Russian River it takes a while to go those those reaches from the ocean. You know, um, so it ends up being a little warmer. Um, just just as a as a as a comparison, whereas the, our vineyards here get that blast of like afternoon wind and uh, much like Carneros actually you know Carneros gets those the, those winds uh, we get a lot of wind here in the afternoon kicks up around one o'clock and then it gets really cold as well during the ripening season so I think that's what kind of conserves some of the acidity the acidity and the fruit and the minerality and the wood it's all so beautifully balanced what do we have next okay so uh, with the Pinot um, this is the vintage before. This is the 2013 estate uh, bottling from Domaine Anderson, and this is these are this is so the Chardonnay is the seven vineyards and the Pinot is nine vineyards. So a lot of the vineyards that we have share uh, you know sites of, mm -hmm. of Chardonnay and, and uh, Pinot Noir. Wow. It sort of screams California fruit, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, it's that's what. Um, you're going to obviously get is, is that warmth of California fruit and, and the, the kind of ripeness. Um, so I think it's, um, you know, my job, the winemaker's job to really just uh, manage that and like kind of um, hold back on the richness, uh, just, just to kind of dial it down a notch. 13 is probably a tough vintage to do that yeah. with because it's sort of the vintage that everyone says you could do no wrong right, with, but right. to really manage that kind of voluptuousness that it gave you right, right. for Pinot Noir particularly yeah. you know if you're making Cabernet great you got mm -hmm. that um, must have been a bit of a challenge and I, I get that kind of black raspberry huh yeah a lot of black fruit a lot of black cherry yeah cherry definitely skin. not burgundy yeah <laughs> yeah definitely not burgundy interesting though as fruit forward as as the nose is on the palate, it's it's really a little more delicate than that. Yeah, I mean, and there, I mean, you can have a big wine, but it's just got to be in balance. And I think this this wine achieves the balance. Um, it it is a, a a bigger wine, like especially for a Pinot, like you were right. mentioning Cabernet. I think in thirteen, I think, you know, cab producers in California enjoy that 
the the ripeness because mm-hmm. um, and and that's really kind of the, the style that's come out of there and also it's the style that people want to drink. I'm really intrigued at the difference between the nose and and the the palate. Yeah, yeah, and I think you found that in the in the Chardonnay as well. I mean, it's it's really got the nose. You're anticipating something a lot more broad, a lot more just kind of like uh, muscular and mm-hmm. big and, and powerful. But this is really, you know, it, it even though it, it it tends that way, it's not overbearing. And I think that's what I mean by like something that's uh, balanced because you can have a big one that's right. balanced. And as fruity and dark as this is, what brings that balance really is that really beautiful, bright acidity you've, you've pulled out of this wine. Yeah, and I think that's that's super, super important. Is is uh, you know, and being part of a sparkling wine producer, a sparkling wine house, it's like the the acidity is is really on everybody's kind of uh, radar. What I notice about this, as well as the Chardonnay, is the super long finish both of them have. Mm. With the, the my mouth just keeps watering and tasting it, wanting for more. With, with the Pinot Noir, there's also a little bit of tannin to it still. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to really promote its ageability where you're not sure what your wines are going to do because you're only a few years old. Yeah. I could see this wine going 8, 10 years really easily. Yeah, I think actually on release, so this was released like, you know, uh, about a year ago. And I think it was a bit tough on release. It would, I think the tans were a little, a little bit more, more, yeah, a little more grippy. I think the wood tannins also kind of added to that. You know, now after it's spent you know another year in the bottle, it's had time to resolve. That's something I've learned is that these wines um, do better with a little bit of bottle age. And, and you know, we're lucky we made you know about you know 2,800 cases of, of the uh, of the 2013 estate, so we still have some left, and we're selling through that right now. But it's it's really changed over the course of uh, the just the year. It's really kind of resolved. It's it's a kind of a maybe kind of oak issues, but also in general, just like the tannin issues. I think there, there's a little bit of things we're fighting against each other at, at release, you know, and, and still, you know, released it like two or three years later. It's just kind of like uh, the ageability of it is, is really kind of is nice, and it, it's, it's doing a very really graceful job with aging. What's the last one we have to taste? Okay, so this is, um, I wanted to bring an example of, um, of uh, our single vineyard, and this is up uh, Navarro. So this is the, our closest to the um, the ocean. This is our Pinoli Vineyard, and it's it's our actually our highest um, elevation. So the Pinoli Vineyard, 2013, the Pinoli Vineyard is um, 800 feet. Okay. Uh, and so that's um, it's it's uh, it's cooler site, and plus we have a little bit of elevation, so it's cooler in that respect as well. Still. What, what, tell me about this wine. What, what, what can I expect from it? So the 13, the Pinoli, <clears throat> we were talking about large, like bigger muscular wines. This is the muscular wine. This is the, uh, um, you know, it's still kind of got a lot of balance, however. More savory notes on the nose, though, than, mm-hmm. yeah, like than a, the estate. Even tobacco, some, uh, you know. Yep, there's some box, herbs. There's yeah. a herbaceousness. I mean, I get a little bit of thyme, you know, some. But the fruit is definitely... Um, not as forward in your face as as the estate. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so you get you see what I mean by like the, the tannin structure is a little bit more pronounced. Mm-hmm. This is like a very you know very broad muscular wine. Yeah, but this is uh, this one screams for food. Yeah, I mean where, where the other wines are going to be beautiful with food and they're going to be enhanced by food. This one must have food. I yeah, think. Yeah. This wine's about structure though. Yeah. This is really nice. This for is for sure. This is my wheelhouse for sure. Yeah, I really dig okay, this wine. Yeah, yeah. And how much of that was produced? 
Oh, like 200 cases. Oh, virtually nothing. Yeah, so this is like a tasting room. And tasting room only. And yeah. Well, Darren Lowe, thanks very much for your time. Your, your wines are absolutely delicious, really pretty. I encourage people to try and get their hands on some Domain Anderson wines, uh, taste them, figure out what this little valley up here way north uh, along the coast is all about. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpoorpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Poor with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Poor with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Poor. This has been The Honest Poor with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. 